Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Series 2 of Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. That's me, hello. I'm a broadcaster and journalist and I write the Ask Annalisa column in The Guardian each Saturday. Every week when researching the column, I get to speak to some amazing specialists. And this podcast allows me to go into more detail on subjects that come up all the time. I self-fund this podcast, so if you'd like to support us so that we can make more, you can share it widely. If you'd like to make a one-off donation, you can follow the link in the description of this episode, which will take you to the ACAST supporter page. And if you'd like to listen ad-free, head over to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Annalisa Barbieri, where you can become a supporter. The definition of intimacy has eluded me over the years and actually has also eluded many of the therapists I speak to. I wonder what you think of when I say it. So in this episode, we try to answer this very question. Intimacy might not be what you think. It isn't about sex because actually, as we'll hear, sex is often used to avoid intimacy. And what does intimacy have to do with your early years? We're about to find out. I speak to Stephen Blumenthal, a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst, accredited by the British Psychoanalytic Council. Stephen has specialist expertise in treating people who have problems with relationships and intimacy, difficulty expressing emotions, sex addiction and compulsive use of pornography. He works at the Queen Anne Street Practice in central London. So Stephen, you and I have talked many times over the years about problems to do with sex that some of my readers have, but this podcast is about intimacy, and the two aren't the same, are they? Certainly not. In fact, often sex and intimacy are confused. And I I suppose the thing about uh, sex is that it is something that brings people together. Uh, It's a way of bonding, but it's also a way of it can function as a way of pushing people away, of detaching. And when somebody has intimacy difficulties, usually because of early life experiences, sex is one of those things that can be used to uh, push people away rather than bring people together. What do you think intimacy is? I've got my definition. I want to hear yours. Intimacy for me is about the 
ability to share an intimate space with somebody else, to share closeness, to exist together emotionally, cognitively, uh, in uh, thinking and being together. And it's surprisingly difficult. How do you know if you've got it with someone? Is it about feeling comfortable with someone? Is it about not having to explain yourself? I suppose all relationships between people go through a cycle of harmony and disharmony and of coming together and then detaching again. And being able to manage that cycle of togetherness and then disharmony and actually overcoming that and repairing that is a surprisingly difficult thing to do. So is intimacy about caring? Because one of the sort of purest forms of intimacy, I think, is between a mother and child. And I wonder if actually the sort of truest expression of intimacy is that early bonding between a mother and a child. What do you think about that? Well, that's exactly right, Annalisa. We get our model of intimacy from that very first relationship, from that primary relationship. Following birth, there's a kind of rupture of that symbiotic relationship. The way in which that is managed is the foundation for our ability and capacity to actually be intimate with somebody else. Are we talking about attachment style here? Yes, that's, that's right. So intimacy is all about the ability to be able to share psychological space and physical space for that matter. Why intimacy is so difficult is because you have to have a secure setting to be able to be intimate. Our first concern in life is really about safety and security. If we feel psychological safety, then we can actually attend to the other person, care, validate the other person. And also receive care. Exactly. And this is why security of attachment is so important. In the early days of attachment study, they devised an experiment called the strange situation, where the mother would leave the child for 90 seconds with the stranger, so to stress the child just a little bit, but not to overwhelm the child, and leave the room. The child would typically protest because they were with a stranger. And then the mother would return into the room and the nature of the rebonding provided a kind of window onto the, the, the type of attachment style this child had. So most children, of course, would protest, but then very quickly return to play and forgive the mother. But other patterns were also clear from this experiment, where a child may completely avoid the mother's gaze and look secure from the outside. But actually, when you measure things like stress-related measures like heart rate, the child was very stressed but didn't show that. So that's an avoidant attachment. And there's another one called an ambivalent attachment, where the child just simply couldn't give up the protest and would keep struggling away. But in both cases of the avoidant and the ambivalent, and another one called disorganized, which is too much to go into now, 
Basically, the child was not focused on the relationship. The mother, who's supposed to be a source of security and comfort, is actually experienced as a source of, of threat. In other words, the child in those situations had to create the security themselves. If you can't return to play, then you can't be intimate because you're focused on the person as a source of security rather than being absorbed with the act of doing whatever you're doing. And therefore, intimacy is something about being able to let go completely with the other person and to feel completely secure in their presence, which is why the whole area of attachment is so important. Now, one of the things that you and I have spoken about in the past is that someone who might have a particularly insecure attachment, you might need to help me out with which of those it is. They might think that they're being intimate, but in fact, they're using sex to avoid intimacy. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? That is quite right, Annalisa. So if you aren't getting the security from your caregiver, you can't then internalize a secure internal structure within you. These first relationships are the kind of crucible in which we then can form a sense of self, which can then deal with the kind of bumps in life. A person will often then seek a kind of self-stimulation in order to provide that security. So that might be through excessive alcohol use or drug use or sex is one of those things that can also become a kind of repetitive action which is a way of managing the self. It's a kind of more internal experience rather than uh, an experience that is joining you to somebody else. You're actually then having a relationship with yourself rather than with another person. So various addictive behaviours become a kind of way of self-stimulation in order to avoid the pain of separation. How does separation figure in intimacy? Is intimacy the ability to come together with someone and safely separate when you have to and be able to manage your own emotions? From the very first separation, we are constantly dealing with attachment, bonding, and then separating again, right from the start of life. And in the same way, relationships have to go through that cycle of rupture and repair. Now, if we have experienced in our early lives those kind of attachment problems where we can't rely on a caregiver to provide that kind of security, then we don't build up a picture in our own minds of a secure other who we can separate from, and we're going to be okay on our own say we've had an argument with our partner, it becomes a disaster. It becomes something that can divide us and separate us, whereas actually it's something that we can just trust will be overcome and we will return to that relationship and repair the, the rupture. So the irony is that actually the better attachment you have with your mother or primary caregiver, the more able you are to be independent. Yes, so... Intimacy does require independence. There are kind of two broad kinds of relationships. A relationship where, which you might describe as codependent, 
where you need the other's presence all the time in order to feel okay and any separation feels like a threat we're then in threat mode when we are apart whereas probably a more healthy relationship is one in which we can come and go and we can trust that that person will be there when we return i remember you and i spoke about people who pay for sex that in your experience of treating these people it's often a way of to avoid intimacy because i asked you why don't they just go and have one night stands you know there are people out there who are happy to have casual sex and you said that the transaction that the money enabled them to have a boundary so that they they felt in control of the experience yes the person who does that there's a need to establish power and control over the interaction because that is a way of engaging this other person but on your own terms where you're in command of the situation and this is exactly what happens where you've had early experiences of trauma for example where there is a kind of tendency to go into a kind of threat mode rather than a engagement mode you know within us as human beings we have both a kind of reptilian self if you like which is more threat orientated associated with the limbic system and a cortex in which we can think and engage a mammalian brain if you like so we have a reptilian brain and a mammalian brain now if you've ever looked at a lizard for example they are in constant threat mode whereas mammals playing where there's care and play and engagement with one another they're in a very different mode and we have this capacity within us unfortunately what we know is that trauma has this kind of effect where we are on constant high alert in some cases we can go into threat mode very quickly where we aren't able to play love care i, I mean you've never seen a, a lizard or a snake being intimate that that would be quite the reverse of what intimacy is it's a very very much a kind of a mammalian capacity how do you know if you're using sex to avoid intimacy is it that when you get to a certain stage with someone you pull back is it that you constantly have relationships with people who are unavailable? If someone's listening to this and they think, actually, have I ever been intimate? You know, but I, I have lots of sex. How would they know if they may have an issue with intimacy? When there's an emotional engagement with the person that you're having sex with, that to me would describe an intimate relationship. Whereas when you have to separate feeling from the sexual act, that sort of suggests a relationship which is more one in which you're using sex as a way of distancing rather than togetherness mm -hmm. and what does emotional engagement look like being able to sustain a relationship after the sexual act for example you know being able to talk and be vulnerable emotionally with the person that you're having this intimate experience with you know, what is so interesting about sex is that in the moment of orgasm, for example, you are at your most vulnerable. You're not able to defend yourself. Where sex is in the service of bringing you together in a relationship which is secure and where you feel safe, where you're engaged psychologically with that person, emotionally, where they can see your frailties, 
your vulnerabilities. I would think of that as the kind of scenario in which sex is used to bond. Whereas so often sex is something that is used as a kind of almost like a medicine, as a way of moderating the intensity of contact. The seeking of sex with, say, a prostitute or through pornography, for example, or in sort of repetitive one-night stands would suggest to me a picture in which the person is actually needing to use sex in order to moderate intensity and prove to themselves repeatedly, which is so often the case when working with people with various sex addictions, that they are self-sufficient, that they don't need to rely on this particular person. Both genders will display those features. But I think it is something that is more associated with men than women. I think in general terms, and this is a huge generalization, women do have a greater capacity for intimacy as a whole than, than men. And there's probably good biological reasons for that, because women have babies and are sort of evolutionarily primed for caregiving more so than men. Of course, men can perform that function as well. And that's part of the issue in intimate relationships is that often the sexes struggle to find common ground. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If someone's listening to this and they are thinking, actually, you know, whenever I get close to someone, I freak out and I think I have intimacy issues. What questions might they ask themselves? The kind of questions they might ask themselves are, is there a pattern to my engagements in relationships? And what is that pattern? Freud coined the term the repetition compulsion, which is one of the most valuable terms, I think, in psychology, really, which is that we repeat early experiences partly because we might not know any other way of doing it, and partly to master some sort of early experiences. So when, for example, we find ourselves in a pattern of many short-term relationships and never being able to settle down, even though another side of us really desperately wants connection, because we are, of course, primed for connection. Connection is and intimacy is the source of self, of happiness. We need togetherness like we need food. Intimacy with friends and, and particularly in a close relationship are actually protective of mental health and also physical health. That's been shown in countless experiments. So when we find ourselves repeatedly you know, in our conscious mind, we think we really, I really want to have a relationship. I, and yet we find in our behavior a kind of repetitive pattern, which is telling a different story to the one that we're seeking. Then that's likely to reflect something about a, a difficulty with experiencing intimacy and connection. How could you help yourself if you want to change that pattern? Some psychological work is undertaken within ourselves. Also, I think therapy is really helpful for this kind of issue and problem. In a therapeutic relationship, it sort of acts as a kind of mirror where we can see things in ourselves that we didn't necessarily see on our own. In a therapeutic relationship, you do tend to repeat the pattern that brought you there in the first place. So, for example, if you have an issue with intimacy, it's going to likely present itself in the therapeutic relationship. And hopefully you've got a therapist who's able to experience that with you and actually show you by providing a kind of mirror to how you play out those early relationships. Now, of course, not everybody is going to have therapy, and I'm not one to think that therapy is something that just happens in the consulting room. I think therapy can be something that we have in our close, intimate relationships. We've talked about things you can do, talking to people, if you can, and learning maybe about your early life and where certain patterns were set. Is there anything else you can do to make yourself more sort of available for intimacy? The really important thing to do there is to actually take the risk and take yourself out of your comfort zone and try to share the things with the people who are closest to you that you kind of have an impulse to hide. 
And I suppose ultimately that is the aim of therapy, is to try to help you be the person you truly are, rather than some sort of false self that you feel is the part that you have to play with other people in order to gain acceptance. Can you be the person you truly are? That, in fact, is a nice kind of answer to the question of, am I being intimate? Am I being genuine? Am I being authentic? Am I being my authentic self? Yes, and I think it was also about vulnerability, because I think if you feel safe, you can allow yourself to be vulnerable. And yes. and that sort of can lead to a connection, of course, not always. So you have to be careful if you are taking that risk that you're doing it maybe in small steps or with someone that, as far as you know, you trust. I mean, when I was a teenager, I was very suspicious of people. And one of the ways that I avoided intimacy was by being quite fierce. I had a shaved head, I dressed in a very aggressive way, and I was scared underneath of that was fear. And I definitely liked, I had really good female friends, but I kept everyone else at bay. And I remember, I'd I mean, I'd love I to have of, seen that, Annalisa. Oh, I've got pictures, Stephen. Um, <laughs> so, but one of the things I And you've I done a tremendous amount of work on yourself in various ways, haven't you? In order to overcome that self that needed to, that was a, a sort of a, a false self, if you like, because that's not who you truly are, as we know now. I mean, I think I still have a slightly false self in the sense that I, no matter how bad I feel, I try and make it okay for someone else. Uh, that's just how I've been conditioned. But I remember one day thinking, I have to trust people to, their reaction has to be theirs. I mustn't continuously preempt it. And I remember thinking that I'd got quite grown up when I was confident enough to say, you know, this is how I feel and not keep people at bay and kind of almost let it hang there and see and let the reaction be their responsibility. I mean, that's something I say to myself a lot now. But that was a process, really. I was quite untrusting. But um, I've, I've definitely learned that about myself. I like very much what you've just said there, because I think it really captures so many aspects of our conversation today in that intimacy isn't something that you're going to be, these aren't things that you're going to be cured of forever. You know, you see the remnant of these issues right through your life. For example, I liked what you said there about caring for others and uh, as almost like, because that's the default position to go to, whereas actually receiving care might actually be quite difficult. And of course, these problems don't go away. And that's not really the point. It's to become more aware of it so that you're more a kind of full, fuller person. And I suppose also where you can be yourself with someone without risk of harm. Yes, exactly. Safety and security are number one. Yes, I'm really liking the word safety. I realise that I can't really be myself unless I feel safe. There's sort of enemies of safety and different people have different things. I, I guess that's sort of partly knowing yourself. For some people, safety is, I don't know, money or, you know, for me, is I like to know where I'm at with a person. But that's right. Psychological safety is at the very heart of what we're talking about. You know, if you're attending too much to making money, for example, or some sort of activity that in the belief that this is going to keep you safe and secure, then that does suggest some problem with safety and therefore mm. intimacy. Because you're having to 
shore yourself up all the time and make sure that you're uh, safe in the world. You know, a, a tyrant or dictator is somebody who, at the heart of it, they're absolutely quaking in their boots, but have to cover that up by controlling dictating. And, and dictating over other people. One of the things that interests me as someone who uses social media a lot, but I'm quite careful about how I use it because, of course, I like to keep people at bay, is sometimes there's the illusion of intimacy, isn't there? There's pictures of people posting themselves, having a really intimate time, and I'm not really sure what's going on there and why they need to prove they're being intimate. But what do you think might be going on there? There could be many things going on, Annalisa, but sometimes when people are posting constantly. I think it may in fact reflect quite a different picture at home and that's just the thing about social media is that we all have this, or most of us have this online profile which is quite different from our private profile and I think that's one of the problems with social media is that we can often muddle private and public and there's this kind of, as you say, it's an illusion because there's this sort of promise of intimacy, of sharing something deeply personal. But actually, it may well point to a big hole in that person's life in terms of what might really be going on. It suggests more of a need to publicize something and to shout about it rather than to actually what they might really be experiencing. So is social media like the ultimate false self, do you think? It has the potential to be, because it has this kind of promise that we can share in the lives of each other and we can be intimate, we can be sort of close at a distance. I think when you've developed a sufficiently robust personality in life, that's why I think it's easier for adults in this regard. But when you're growing up with this and you're a young person and you're just forming your sense of self and you're forming your sense of self of course within the context of a peer group particularly in your teen years and that can be massively distorted by social media. Actually now I think about it it's quite a good way to avoid intimacy if it's an addendum to an otherwise quite full life. I mean there's people I know in real life who post a completely different picture to their life and I and I find that really telling. It's an illusion of intimacy exactly and what does that then do to young people's psyche because it creates a you know it's all about image rather than true intimacy and people have a kind of profile on social media which is really quite different to how they might be at home in an intimate situation and I think it kind of leads to a kind of almost like an epidemic of of alienation, really, and a sense of isolation. Thank you so much to Stephen for that really insightful conversation. Since I first started talking to him a few years ago, I've certainly looked at matters of intimacy and how early attachment can impact with renewed interest. So in case you're wondering what my definition of intimacy is, it's about being with someone who knows exactly where you're at and vice versa. It's about being authentic and vulnerable and open. 
which is maybe why so many of us find it so difficult. Stephen recommends two books for further reading, The Examined Life by Stephen Gross, which is a brilliant book I also recommend, and Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Laurie Gottlieb. Stephen was recently joint winner of the Estella Weldon Prize for his essay which deals with intimacy, This State of Inbetweenness, which was published in the British Journal of Psychotherapy. The series is produced by Hester Kant, the music is by Toby Dunham, and our artwork is by Lo Cole. Follow us on social media, on Instagram, at Pocket Annalisa. You can read my Ask Annalisa Barbieri column in The Guardian magazine every Saturday. And we'd love to hear your suggestions for topics you'd like us to discuss on future podcasts. Please email us at conversationswithannalisa at gmail.com. If you enjoyed and benefited from today's episode, do please share it with someone else you think might find it useful. And it would mean a lot to us if you could give us a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening and do join us again. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in, so much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.